I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. This is a special episode of The Electorate. So last week, you may recall that Michael Cohen testified in a hearing before the House Oversight Committee. And of course, there were fireworks during that testimony. During Michael Cohen's testimony, he referred to Trump as a racist, a con man, and a cheat. And adding to those fireworks were the newly elected members of the House. Their questioning of Michael Cohen got a lot of attention from news outlets. But the entire hearing was surreal. This was the biggest political news of that week. And you know, and I had so many thoughts about what transpired during that hearing. And I just needed to get some of those thoughts off of my chest. So that's where today's guest for this special episode comes in. Marissa Cabus is a writer and an activist, and during the 2016 election cycle, she built this amazing online tool called Crush the Midterms. You may have heard about it. So Crush the Midterms was a tool that you could input your personal data, and it would give you a list of steps that you could take to help Democrats win back the House and the Senate during the midterms. It was really popular. There were celebrities using it. I used it. Even Hillary Clinton was a fan of this tool. I've admired the work of Marissa Cavis since then. So we got together and we recorded this special episode. So here is my conversation with Marissa Cavis. So last week, the big news was Michael Cohen testified and Michael Cohen is or was Trump's attorney, right? You know, he testified um, before the, the House Oversight Committee, right? And so that was the big news last week. And the big news was, you know, the kind of the fireworks between the Democrats and the freshman Democrats and Republicans and between them and Michael Cohen. But of course, you know, given this news cycle, lots of things have happened since the testimony ended. And the first thing I saw was that, and I don't know if you've seen this yet, so Trump, you know, he was in he was in Vietnam and, you know, he was trying to make a deal with North Korea and that that failed. Right. Yep. <laughs> so, he, so he came back, you know, is the second time he failed on that. He came back and he blamed the Cohen testimony on the failure of that. I don't know if you've read that yet. Yeah. Yeah. Because and that makes perfect sense. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, he said, you know, for the Democrats to interview in open hearings, I'm reading his tweet, a convicted liar and fraudster, which is so ironic for him to say that at the same time. Projection. He's projecting. <laughs> right. At the same time as I was having this nuclear summit with North Korea, North Korea. Right. So, you know, I mean, I guess my first question is, if that were the case, then why did the summit fail? Why did it fail the first time he met with North Korea? Hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like what, what was happening that day? Like, uh, I, <laughs> um, I, I'd love to hear his, he should go back in, in his calendar and see like, oh, well, that thing was happening that day. So, you know, that's why that didn't work out. It's convenient. Exactly. So how did you feel generally about the Cohen testimony? So I went into it. I mean, it's so funny. Like uh, these days I, I plan my schedule around congressional hearings. Like I, a few years ago, <laughs> if you told me that I would have been like, what? Um, and it's like, I, I don't have patience to sit and watch a movie, but I, I can sit for seven hours watching a congressional hearing on C-SPAN. You know, times have really changed. I was kind of excited. I don't know if that's bad to say excited going into it just because I was like, what are we about to hear? What's about to happen? And it also brought me back to a few months ago when Christine Blasey Ford testified um, during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. And it just felt really monumental. It felt like history unfolding. And then as as it started and, and Colin was reading his prepared remarks, I 
that feeling of like how, how this is so surreal like how is this where we're at right now and and I know that that sounds kind of naive and we've had more than two years in this administration already but there are just some of those days where I need to, to pinch myself and be like is this really happening right now is this a person who was close to the president of the United States. And, and it just like, um, it was sort of like an out of body experience. I don't know if you felt that at all. Yes, no, no, you're right. I mean, I think that I've heard that a few times from other people. And that's, huh. I mean, I think it's a good place that we're there. We're in that place. And we're not completely desensitized to the, the abnormality of what's happening, right, with this administration. And so I think that's good. Um, yes. From the Cohen testimony, there are going to be other investigations, which we can talk about later. But imagine if that entire day we were, you know, debating about climate change or debating about, you know, the fact that the U.S. has this, you know, astronomically high maternal mortality rate. But you make a you make a really excellent point. It, you know, overall, I mean, so I think that as Democrats, we're excited because we we see the hearings as you know, possibly coming to a close of this administration. That's how we view the hearings. And that's what is exciting about it. We aren't necessarily excited about the fact that we have to have these hearings. We could be talking about other things. You know, what's happening with immigration and the fact that we have this huge backlog of, you know, asylum applications and, you know, so many other important things. Yeah, I mean, today alone, Jerry Nadler announced that they're looking to get all these documents and information from a lot more people in Trump's orbit seems like it was a, a outgrowth of the Cohen hearings. And it's good because it feels like there's finally some progress being made. And, and this is why we work to crush the midterms so that we could have control of the House and of the committees. But at the same time, it's not lost on me that the more information we uncover, the more hearings we're going to have. The, if impeachment does end up being on the table, the impeachment hearings are going to go on and on and on. And it's like the, the agony is prolonged. And we very well may have to sit through another Trump campaign season next year if he's if he's not removed before the, the 2020 campaign really kicks off in earnest. Yeah, I'm getting angrier just thinking about that possibility. That brings me to the next point. You mentioned that there are going to be more hearings. It was just breaking news today that the House Judiciary Committee has requested more documents from a long list of people. I don't know how many people are on this list, like possibly 100 or close to 100. And, 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 and I think that that was a direct result of the Cohen hearings, right? And some of the things that were uncovered there... Trump Jr. is on that list. Jeff Sessions is on the list. You know, Julian Assange, Roger Stone, um, Sean Spicer, and the NRA. The NRA is on this list. Well, good. I mean, they they they've sort of skated by and and haven't really had to be directly accountable for for all that all the havoc that they've wreaked as an organization. Um, it, that list is just a, a who's who of of all the people who we've known all along are have been perpetrating terrible things and are sort of just, you know, continue to rule, help rule our government in some capacity. And then it's like, wait, they all need to be held to account for the things that they've been doing. And like, maybe that's finally going to happen. But again, it's really hard to get your hopes up when the progress here has been so slow. Right. So what did you think about the performance of both the Republicans and Democrats during the Cohen testimony? I thought the Republicans behaved in a way that it, it just it blew my mind. 
because I couldn't believe how they were just gaslighting everybody uh, and, and claiming that the president is a good man. You know, one of them said that he's in Asia right now protecting our country and Michael Cohen is a liar, but you know, the, no one else in, in the orbit is a liar, right? Like uh, they're doing a really respectable job and they're, they're standing up for American values. And, and I couldn't believe just how aggressive they were in, in defending the president and the administration. Um, and it just, I was like, you know, you, you just protest too much. It didn't come across, it didn't ring true at all. It felt like they had something to hide, that they were on defense, that, that they wanted to protect uh, Trump and the interests that he is protecting at all costs. He employs people like Michael Cohen. All they care about is keeping their taxes low and answering to their religious base, denying women reproductive freedom, um, all the things that, that Democrats are not. And Democrats made it clear that they were prepared, that they were ready to to expose Cohen for who he is and also expose Trump as a result. And they asked some really, really smart questions. I mean, I, I was so I was so blown away. Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez gets a lot of crap and um, she's under a microscope and she took that opportunity to ask really thoughtful, probing questions and was instrumental in probably moving this whole thing forward. Right. That's been the feedback about or that's been the the take on on her questions. And, you know, I think I don't know how I feel about that. So and what I mean by that is that I don't know if I'm offended by the idea that people are surprised that a young woman could be so prepared. I feel like that should be offensive to me. <laughs> I, I think it's actually, I, I hear what you're saying and I, I do agree with that to the degree because that seems to be the thing like, oh, I can't believe how well she did. You know, it's like, well, she she's a congresswoman. She should be able to perform well. But it was striking the difference between even some of the younger new uh, Democrats versus the older ones. And it just seems like the level of preparedness and, and what they came there to do were very different. I mean, the the older Democrats are used to getting briefed on the situation, and they're obviously very familiar with it. But they they wanted their moment of sort of grandstanding about just the, the state of things and how disappointed they are, and like they wanted maybe their their viral moment. And the the freshman members of Congress they they already have so much attention, so they don't need to have some great big rhetorical moment. They just wanted to actually show that they can do the work, which I think is um, again on on Ocasio Cortez. It was like, is she all bluster? Is she all talk? Is she just going to do Instagram lives? And now she's here being like, no, I'm actually here to do this job specifically. Yeah, but you know, comparing the the Democrats and Republicans, I mean, one of the things that I noticed is that, you know, so Republicans didn't really, they didn't actually come to the hearing to help anything, right? They came to obstruct. I mean, that was clear, mm -hmm. but they were very consistent and cohesive at their line of questioning. And the, their line of questioning was around the fact that Cohen was a liar and he shouldn't be trusted. It seemed like they 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 got together on that and they agreed that that was going to be the message that they would push, right? Which again is very ironic considering the person that they're they're protecting, the, you know, right. Trump. Um, you know, so that so they I thought that they were more cohesive than the Democrats, you know. And then the, this other line of questioning that they more than one Republican stayed on, which was that Michael Cohen was in this for a book deal and a movie deal. 
Yeah, that that was so strange to me. Uh, whenever they said it, it was sort of like took you out of the experience. It's it just so far from what's relevant in, in this very important moment. And to your point about them staying cohesive on the message, Republicans are really good at that. They have party lines and they're okay not straying from them if it means that they're going to get certain things in the end. Like they're willing to compromise their moral stance on things if if it leads to X, Y, Z that is that benefits them. Whereas Democrats we as Democrats aren't uh, willing to do that. And um, sometimes it's to our detriment, but at the same time, we're never going to have the sort of group think that the GOP has because um, we encourage independent thought. And I think that's what makes us stronger as a party and attracts a more diverse group of people. Yeah, I agree with that. But I but I also think that there are moments where we could use it like for in, in these hearings. Like I, I was hoping that more members would approach them with the aim of getting Cohen to admit things that were that could lead to, you know, articles of impeachment or could, you know, uncover some things that we we haven't been able to uncover. And I was hoping that they would all kind of get together and go in that direction. But, you know, that didn't necessarily happen. You know, everyone had to they they had their own direction. Yeah, it's it didn't seem like they coordinated much. Yeah, I think I think you're right that we could have uncovered more that that could have helped move things forward, but at the same time, based on um, all the the documents that were um, requested today, it seems like they they have plenty to go on after after the hearing. So, so one of the other freshman members, um, Rashida Talib, caused some fireworks because she called out she, she you know she called to attention the fact that the Republicans brought out so if you weren't watching the hearings Lynn Patton so Lynn Patton is she's a part of the housing and urban development and she works for Ben Carson so she's you know part of the Trump administration and she's a, an African-American she's a black woman and one of the Republicans Mark Meadows brought her to the hearings and had her stand up as evidence that Trump was not actually racist, which is offensive on so many levels, right? I and mean, didn't just, want her didn't want her say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she was literally objectified and tokenized, just you know, literally and symbolically, she just stood there and didn't say anything. But Rashida Tlaib, the freshman congresswoman, she actually said something during the hearing. She actually called them out as this act is being racist, right? Right. And people and and Mark Meadows took that as you're calling me racist. And it's like, well, Mark, step back for a second. Listen to what she said. She didn't say you're racist. She said the act itself was racist, which are it's a very important distinction to make. Sure. (laughs) I mean, the Republicans don't see that. And obviously, we, you know, Democrats say, okay, yeah, Mark Meadows is clearly racist. But um, there, I watched this interesting video the other day, it was from like 10 years ago. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Jay Smooth. Um, But he was explaining like, the best way to win an argument with someone in that situation is don't call the person racist because you are supposing to understand what's in their mind and knowing who they are. And it's really easy for them to retort with, I'm not a racist, you don't know me. But if you are attacking the actual act and the the, the specific thing in question, it's it's easier to, to pick that apart and, and make other people understand that the the inherent racism in it. 
Yeah, you know, I get that. And, you know, I employ that tactic myself personally, right? Sometimes, but it just depends on the situation, right? Sure. You you know, we've gotten to this point with the GOP where, you know, they're supporting people like Steve King. And, you know, you know, at some point, we just have to just call them out and be very direct, right? Right. And and she and she was, I mean, that was the most direct that most people have been, um, even though she wasn't calling him racist, it was very shocking. Like you felt the air kind of go out of the room. Um, and, and some of the maybe older Democrats who are more concerned about respectability and politeness sort of looking at her like, Oh God, where's this going? But I, I, I don't know. I thought it was so brave. I thought it was brave because, these these older white male Republicans are not used to answering for anything. Very rarely called out in the moment. They're very rarely in the same room as people who disagree with them. And uh, that kind of goes back to the whole group think thing. Like, oh, you say something racist and the room just nods along and smiles. And she, um, particularly as a new member of Congress and a woman of color, she took this opportunity when all eyes were on this hearing to kind of turn it back on him when he and uh, Representative Jim Jordan had been literally screaming the whole time. And she she shifted the power dynamic in, I thought, a really remarkable way. You know, and I have to say something because we've talked about this a few times, um, and I I see this a lot online, that people... uh, make this division with Democrats between the older members and the newer members and it being kind of a generational thing. But I don't necessarily see that. I think it's a personality thing. So for instance, Maxine Waters would have no problem saying that he's a racist and and right. neither would neither would Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris actually did just call Trump a racist in an interview. And mm-hmm. so, and so did Rashida Tlaib. You know, and I, I and so the fact that, you know, um Cummings wouldn't necessarily do that. I don't think that that's a function of his age. I think it's just a function of his personality. Sure. I I, I think that's right. Um I think there's also something to be said about the setting. You know, saying someone's racist in a congressional hearing versus in an interview with a media publication, it just seems like different situations. I don't know if Maxine Waters or Kamala Harris has said you know, Trump's a racist in a congressional setting, but uh, it just feels like a very pointed and, and an intentional time to do that, to sort of like get even more of a rise out of them. No, you're right. You're right. That's a good point, right? So a congressional hearing should have more formality to it, I guess, right? And, right. Like, and I think know, it goes against, it's actually against the House rules to say anything derogatory about a fellow member in in the confines of a hearing. Oh, I didn't actually realize that. That's good to know. So what are we saying here? Was was she right or was she? No, so, so we know that she's right, right? <laughs> well, I think she got off on a technicality because she didn't call him racist. Oh, she's, right. So, and I, and I, I don't, I can't speak for her. I don't know if she actually knew that, but part of me thinks she, she did <laughs> um, because she, she had, she was reading it. It seemed like it was a pretty carefully worded statement. Yeah, or maybe she knew what she wanted to say, but she didn't know that it was against the rules, or maybe she'd forgotten because she just had her orientation <laughs> eight <Yeah>. weeks ago. <laughs> maybe, but she seemed to know that, like, she could say that that thing was racist, but she was like, no, 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 I did not call you racist. Um, and uh, he, I think he wanted, like, a rule check, and they were like, no, that's not against the rules. She can say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, it looks like we're going to have a summer of investigations, a summer of hearings, right? The, the, the summer of 2019. Yeah, it's going to be like that summer when I was in middle school and I was obsessed with um, the real world Hawaii. Uh-huh. I just stayed inside watching every episode and it was like, you should be outside, but it's going to be like that, but much more sad. Exactly. Very, very sad. Yeah. Hey, is there anything coming up for Crush the Midterms that we should be aware of? Um, we are kind of working on um, what's coming next, so I don't have anything major to share at the moment, but... Um, just just keep looking out for the next phase because um, 2018 was, was so great and, and we definitely crushed that. So we are looking to crush 2020. Excellent. Well, Marissa Cabus, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been so much fun. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. And until next time, keep up the good fight.